It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, March 22nd, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Processors, fishermen, and stakeholders in the Sitka Sacro herring fishery gathered for a preseason meeting on Friday morning to discuss the commercial fishery before it went on two-hour notice over the weekend. Just under 70 people attended the online meeting led by state fisheries biologists. Representatives from NOAA, the Coast Guard, and the Alaska State Troopers attended to share their expectations for keeping the fishery safe and legal. Area management biologist Aaron Dupuy said this year would be a little different than in the past. Um, with a reduced fleet size and limited tending and processing capacity, um, the daily harvest will likely be much lower than, uh, than what's been observed in past fisheries. Dupuy said because of the reduced fleet, fishermen would likely need more time than usual to reach their quota, which is set at 30,000 tons this year. But he said ADF&G would base decisions about opening entirely on herring conditions. When asked if the fishery would be a co-op this year, Dupuy and management coordinator Troy Tinas said state management is treating this year as a competitive fishery, though they said fishermen and processors may work out arrangements. You know, we're, we're not making preference for for co-ops, but if the processors and fishermen or individual processors have um, uh, plans worked out with the fleets or with the boats that normally sell to them um, to, to co-op that way, um, from my understanding, there there is um, that sort of co-ops going on with individual processors um, and within the fleet there. That's why we're expecting a, a limited fleet. The fishery went on two-hour notice Saturday at 8 a.m. Several test sets were conducted over the weekend. According to an ADF&G press release, the final test set conducted on Sunday yielded 30 tons of fish with an average weight of 122 grams. Aerial surveys on Sunday found numerous schools of herring southwest of Beely Rock, near Lysiansky Point, and in Eastern Channel. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game will broadcast fishery updates at 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. each day over VHF Channel 10 while the fishery is on notice. Members of Sitka's Marine Mammal Stranding Network headed to Cruzoff Island on Thursday to conduct its first necropsy on a dead humpback whale in five years. They wanted to learn more about why the whale died. KCAW's Erin McKinstry reports. The Coast Guard reported the dead 47-foot female humpback to NOAA on Sunday evening. It had washed ashore on the south side of Krusoff Island. Bad weather delayed the team until Thursday, and when they finally arrived, they found the whale in a different position. When we got out there, the whale had rotated 180 degrees and then flipped over onto its stomach um, from all the surf and swell out there. Lauren Wilde is a fisheries technology professor at UAS and the volunteer coordinator for Sitka Stranding Network. She says that the whale had already started to decompose when they arrived. It's a smell that she's gotten used to over the years, but for newbies, it can be shocking. It's funny to watch people's facial expression change as they move towards this whale, and they just kind of have this look of horror like, do I have to keep walking forward or can I stop now? Despite the smell, the team of UAS researchers and local volunteers from the city, school district, and Sitka tribe of Alaska got to work cutting the whale open. It took five and a half hours and 10 people to take photos and notes, collect tissue samples, and examine the whale for signs of trauma. Um, it takes a while and a lot of muscle power to cut through the blubber and then flense that back and peel it back and then cut through the muscle to access the in, inner organs. Conducting a necropsy can be dangerous, Wilde says. 
If the whale's bloated, responders have to take care that it doesn't explode when they cut it open. Carcasses can also attract bears, and the scenes can be hectic, with lots of people working quickly with sharp tools. All of the responders have received specialized training from NOAA. We just have to be really careful because, especially because whales are, you know, really oily. The blubber is just really oily. So as you start cutting, the animal's just oozing oils. And so that makes things really slippery. Wild says whale necropsies in Sitka Sound are fairly uncommon. When they receive a notice of a dead whale, they can't always get to it. Or sometimes it's washed away by the time they do. But conducting necropsies is important because it can teach researchers about whales and any changes that might be happening in their environments. I like to think of a a dead whale as kind of like a gold mine of opportunity, and there's always something and information that can be gleaned from it. And it's just a matter of trying to get as many people to help figure that out in the short amount of time that you have. As far as what killed this humpback, Wild says they didn't find a smoking gun. The whale looked healthy, and its belly was full of herring. But they did find some evidence of blunt trauma. They sent samples off to the lab, and they'll have to wait for the results to find out more. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry. To report a marine mammal stranding, you can call NOAA Fisheries Alaska Marine Mammal Stranding Hotline at 877-925-7773. State health officials say Petersburg's recent outbreak of COVID-19 looked similar to the rapid spread seen in other parts of rural Alaska that hadn't already seen widespread infection. Those state officials held an online presentation this week to review the outbreak in the community and urge continued testing and vaccination. State epidemiologist Dr. Joe McLaughlin compared the spread to a wildfire in a dry forest. When you have a community that has not seen Um, much activity like Petersburg, once the virus starts to take a foothold in the community, it can spread like wildfire and it can spread very quickly. And you can have multiple introductions. And so if you have multiple introductions, you know, one region of the community and another region, another region, then you've got multiple outbreaks that are sort of festering on their own. And, you know, that can really result in in widespread transmission within that community fairly quickly. Petersburg started seeing an increase in cases in mid-February and hit a peak of new cases reported February 24th. The number of active cases was its highest at 68 on March 3rd. Health officials say the virus was brought into Petersburg by travelers and spread through close contact at bars, restaurants, daycares and schools. Local schools went to online learning and some businesses closed temporarily or paused in-person service. Since that peak, case counts have been dropping and by this week, the number of active cases was down to 10. Since the start of the pandemic, Petersburg's reported 159 COVID cases. 145 of those have been in Petersburg residents, about 4.5% of the local population. Cruises are returning to North America in June, but as Eric Stone explains from Alaska's Energy Desk, the news is not as good for Alaska as it might sound. Celebrity Cruises and parent company Royal Caribbean announced Friday that cruises in North America would resume this June. It's good news for an industry that's been sidelined in the Western Hemisphere for more than a year. But it's not good news for Alaska. Cruises are still effectively banned in the U.S. The federal Centers for Disease Control have yet to issue rules necessary for cruise lines to resume calling on U.S. ports. 
and cancellations are starting to take a bite out of the heart of the Alaska cruise season. Princess Holland America and Disney have each canceled cruises from Seattle through about the end of June. Norwegian has mixed sailings worldwide through the end of June. None of them are taking online bookings for almost any of the 2021 Alaska season. The sole exception is a Trans-Pacific voyage scheduled for October. That's due in part to Canadian authorities' decision to bar cruise ships from the country's waters until early next year. Federal law requires foreign-flagged ships, including all large cruise ships that sail to Alaska, to make an international stop on domestic routes. Senator Lisa Murkowski says the state's congressional delegation is working to overcome that significant hurdle. Legislation that would waive the federal law requiring a foreign stop so far hasn't picked up steam. But Murkowski says that's only one part of the effort. She says the delegation is also lobbying both the Biden administration and the Canadian government to allow the season to go forward. So you have a legislative track, you have an administrative track, you have a personal persuasion track where effectively, uh, uh, as a delegation, we are raising this issue with anyone uh, who, who will listen and work with us. State lawmakers are also advancing a resolution that calls for a waiver of the Passenger Vessel Services Act. That's the law that requires a foreign stop. But the clock is ticking. Norwegian's CEO recently told investors it would take roughly 90 days to go from layup to sailing again. Local officials and business owners aren't betting on a 2021 season happening. Ketchikan's city council voted to lay off two city employees Thursday after local officials said another near-zero cruise season would cost almost $9 million in lost tax and fee revenue. And consulting firm Bermelo Ahamil and Partners in a recent bulletin predicted that cruise ships won't return to Alaska ports until April 2022, at the earliest. As U.S. and Canadian authorities appear hesitant to allow cruises to resume, Celebrity, Royal Caribbean, and another cruise line, Crystal, are starting the summer on Caribbean islands outside of U.S. jurisdiction. Celebrity will sail from the island of St. Martin on the Millennium. That's a ship that normally sails to Alaska over the summer. Crystal and Royal Caribbean will sail from the Bahamas. All three lines will require adult guests to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. For Alaska's Energy Desk, I'm Eric Stone in Ketchikan. Taking a look at the community calendar. The Sitka Community Land Trust meets at 6.30 p.m. today via Zoom. The public is encouraged to attend. For more information about joining the meeting, contact Mim McConnell at 738-2888. Sitka Counseling, in partnership with Yoga Union instructor Carrie Fish, continues its free Zoom yoga class Mondays from 4 to 5 p.m. through March 29th. The class is geared to help reduce stress and enhance wellness. Visit tinyurl.com slash Sitka Community Yoga to sign up and get the link. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.